0: You have entered the realm of critical analysis, critical strangeness, critical mass, and cretinous humor. Fasten your convictions, The in for a bumpy ride. Face for Radio and a Voice for Silent Films. I'm Dan the Demented and opposite me is my lovely, adorable, and devastatingly intelligent co-host, Deviant Deb. On this show we advocate unspeakable obscenity such as freedom of speech, freedom of inquiry, open communication and personal responsibility. If critical analysis of the issues that you hold dear offends you, don't firebomb us, don't boycott our network, don't call in Islamic extremists to assassinate us, and don't pray for us, just switch to another podcast. Today we'll be giving Giving you a reprobate's eye view on the reprobates, actually.
1: So uh, you're going to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you came about uh, becoming a polyschismatic reprobate.
0: Um, I've always been rather rather be, been uh, rather of a reprobate turn of mind, uh, not necessarily in the Calvinist sense, but definitely in the uh, <laughs> in the parental sense. Yeah. I was the the kid on the block who liked to play with fire and gunpowder and all that fun stuff. Then one, I can relate. <laughs> cool. Then <laughs> when I grew up, I traded in the pyrotechnics once they could get me arrested for philosophy, which t- turned out to have a much uh, more destructive effect. But, hey, you know.
1: <laughs> Less of a chance of arrest, though. Well, <laughs> yeah, in this, this country.
0: <laughs> if <laughs> yeah. I was in Afghanistan, we'd have problems. Oh, yes. Um, but, yeah, I'm a... Uh, professional audio video producer i've been uh, helping reggie and bob price out from time to time with their shows and some strange odd friend of mine roped me into doing my own show well our own show and that was you what uh, what gave you the idea for all of this madness
1: oh it was pretty much a spur of the moment thing um sadly i don't have any connection professionally to either Reggie or Bob. I I merely worship them from afar. (laughs) But um, I do worship them. I do very much admire what they do. And not that I pretend to have their skills or even aspire to that level. Um, I still think that the more of us that get our voices out there, the better. Uh, And we're going to just form a chorus of... I guess, alternative thought when when you look at us being alternative against the mainstream, which is religious and religiously conservative and looking to tell everyone in this society what they should do and how they should do it and looking to pass laws to uh, affect all of us when really they should just be doing whatever they want to do and leaving the rest of us alone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool.
1: So... Yeah, I just it's kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing, and I'm just getting started and learning how things work, and uh, I'm hoping you'll help me with that. I'll do what I can. <laughs> it could be you biting off a lot more than you can chew, but hey. Well, hey,
0: that's been the case so far, but I've got strong jaw muscles from that kind of thing, so, you know.
1: Oh, well, I might be okay then. <laughs>
0: um, let's see how to introduce. I'm... Um... I'm a worldview skeptic, much like Anthony Flew was. Which is not to say I don't have a worldview. I'm a. Let's see how to how to put it. I'm. Uh, ra- I'm a ra- hyperrational um, atheist and a poetic metaphysical mystic. I don't even know how to go begin go about beginning to quantify it. Um, anyone that heard me on Reggie's show the other week might have some kind of idea. I think the. I think the 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 religious is great metaphor and it's a lot of fun and it can enrich your life as long as you don't take it seriously and people that take it seriously piss me off um.
1: exactly that that tends to lead to interference in other people's lives but
0: i also get a lot of i also get a lot of fun crosstalk from other skeptics because i Just as skeptical of my own worldview and theirs as I am of everybody else's, I have a very strong, visceral dislike for partisanship, even when it's, or maybe especially when it's my own party. So I tend to be rather merciless, and people get pissed off at me for that sometimes.
1: Well, I I think that's a healthy attitude. You can be uh, dogmatic in, in ways other than religion, Anything, any belief system can become a dogma when you adhere to it so strongly that you can't even look at other viewpoints or even question your own viewpoints.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I think that you have a, a healthy sort of skepticism, which would include skepticism of skepticism.
0: <laughs> hey, how about you? What is your... It's
1: kind of recursive. <laughs> hey,
0: to understand recursion, one must first understand recursion.
1: There, yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> it took me years to learn what that word meant until I saw that bumper sticker. Uh, and then I understood. I mean, you know, I'd read the lexical definition, but seeing it used in context was always rather confusing. I'm like... Mm. Wait, what?
1: Oh, well, that was the bumper, that was sticker, the bumper that sticker? That was the bumper sticker. The
0: bumper sticker said, to understand recursion, you must first understand <laughs> recursion.
1: Oh, I saw the best bumper sticker in the world today. I, I actually laughed out loud in the parking lot. It said... Oh, let me see if I can remember exactly how it went. Something like, um, "I'm getting sick and tired of slitting the throats of all the people that keep saying I'm a violent psychopath." <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh yes, another one of my another one of my favorites is that is that one you told me about. Abstinence makes the church grow fondlers.
1: <laughs> so beautiful. That might have even been off Evolve Fish. I had been I I have bought things off Evolve Fish before, yeah. but. I hadn't been there in a while, and I, I you know, because uh, the rational response people are always hawking them. Mm-hmm. They're their sponsors or whatever. But I went by there a few weeks ago or something, and I'm pretty sure that is a sticker or a button or something on that site. Cool. Oh, yeah, that's, I've seen some really <laughs> cool bumper stickers that, <laughs> I, I saw one that said, uh, Heisenberg may have slept here. <laughs> I don't know if he really slept in cars but Oh, I like I it. That might be funnier as a sign in the window of a motel or something.
0: Oh, uh, one of my favorites is militant agnostic. I don't know, and neither do you.
1: <laughs> right. That, that is completely my <laughs> motto. <laughs> uh, I used to know though. I went back when I was a Mormon. I am a former Mormon. I joined the Mormon Church at the age of 14. And I was a very gung ho, uh, completely faithful, married in the temple, the whole ball of wax Mormon for ten years, and after which I, I guess the beginning of my falling out was when my husband, my first husband, died, uh, and I was 23 at the time, and that definitely put a dent in my faith although it didn't destroy it completely it was sort of the beginning of the journey away from this hook line and sinker sort of deep unquestioning belief that I had in it and for about ten years I just sort of backburnered it I I didn't think about it I suppose I, I assumed that it probably was true but I just couldn't deal with trying to practice my religion. At that point, I concentrated on raising my kids and working because I had just uh, started nursing school a couple of months after he died. And I just threw myself into school and then work and my kids and all that. And it wasn't until 10 years later that I hooked up with a group of former Mormons. And until that point, I didn't even know that groups of former Mormons existed. And it was kind of like, hey, there's people just like me. Uh, and I just thought people left the Mormon church, and the Mormon church was the true church. They just fell off the face of the earth or something, or they were <laughs> eaten by dragons or something. I didn't know. Uh, I was like, no, these people uh, came out of the church, and they criticized it, and, and they didn't spontaneously burst into flames. <laughs> so... uh that was quite an eye-opener for me.
0: And in a uh, in a rather historically anachronistic departure, you actually didn't discover um, the notion of having multiple partners until after you left Mormonism.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> the Mormonism, uh, the Mormon view of, of uh, having multiple partners, which is actually uh, polygamy, multiple wives only, for the men, the the women are just stuck with one guy, and that's it, no matter what. Um, the Mormon Church, in its its ancient days, used to practice open polygamy. Polygamy, um, but then I guess when Utah applied for statehood, one of the caveats was that they would have to give this practice up so that they could become a member of the United States. So the church outlawed polygamy at that point. I forget. What year it was eighteen sixty uh, something? Was that early? Or, Wow. Uh, I I don't know for sure. I'd have to okay. look it up.
0: I thought it was like the eighteen eighties or eighteen
1: nineties. That might you might be right. Yeah, just off the top of my head, I don't know. But after that, they still and and this is not something that they publicize, but their belief is still that in the afterlife, men can still have multiple wives. So, uh, yeah, in the afterlife according to the Mormons even today men can have multiple wives if they're considered worthy if they make it to the highest degree of heaven to celestial glory then they'll become gods themselves and they'll be able to give birth to spirit children and make their own little worlds and send their own Little spirit children down to their little earths to get bodies and go through this whole progression process, you know, mm-hmm. lather, rinse, repeat. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and you know,
0: it's gotta suck with um, a polygamous religion that prohibits lesbianism. You gotta wonder what all the women are gonna do when the man's prostate goes out.
1: Well, <laughs> no, the eternal, perfected celestial body will not wear out ah. in, in any way, shape, or form. Can
0: you imagine the advertising campaign? that mormonism would have if <laughs> it was guy allowed will to be... Join Mormonism have an eternal perfect celestial prostate that will service as many women <laughs> as you could possibly desire.
1: No Viagra needed.
0: The angel Moroni, <laughs> eternal Viagra.
1: There you go. <laughs> yeah, that could be there is something a little bit phallic about the angel Moroni holding that trumpet up at that angle. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, maybe that is the symbolism. I don't know.
0: I always thought it was—it uh, was rather amusing that the angel Moroni's the everything but the last letter of his name spells moron,
1: right? When you
0: realize that Joseph Campbell was a convicted felon con artist before coming up with the religion, you gotta wonder if that wasn't intentional.
1: Uh, Joseph Smith, <laughs> yeah, but no, we we like Joseph Campbell. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's late, can you tell?
1: Yeah, well, you are still half asleep, and you, you have inhaled tea recently. Yes, so. yes. And not so not
0: that. that kind of tea. Actual Earl Grey <laughs> going down the wrong pipe.
1: Black gold Texas tea. <laughs> so, other than being an ex-Mormon, I'm also a registered nurse, and uh, that definitely puts me in a position to experience oh how should i put it expressions of of religion overt expressions of religious belief (laughs) because there's always clergy people roaming around coming into the patient rooms wanting to pray with them and give them communion and read the bible with them and handing out their little pamphlets and all this stuff And, and there actually are some people who are really really religious and have entire groups come up from their church, and they all hold hands around the patient's bed and pray. And uh, it was during one of those moments that I had my epiphany about actually being an atheist, where I had walked past a room and that sort of extravaganza was going on, and I just thought to myself, damn, these people are wasting their time. (laughs) I was just so (laughs) cynical, and then I was just like, well, I guess I am an atheist. That was my it was a moment of truth. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't want to get in too much to my own, just because I have this. Uh, my uh, my father is very um, uh, <laughs> is in the process of attempting to build his reputation as a professional apologist. So, the more I get into my own history, the more likely it is that this is going to get back to him and embarrass the shit out of him. So.
1: Uh-huh. We'll get into well,
0: we'll get into it as time goes on, you know. It's one thing you do your own thing, but if you can avoid causing other people deep problems as long as you have to, I'm all for that.
1: Well, I'm going to just point something out here. I I agree with you, but do you think that the converse would also be true? Do you think that he would really be losing a lot of sleep uh thinking is he going to embarrass you or make your life difficult? Oh, absolutely not. Well, exactly. And and do you notice that a lot of times that's the case with with religious people they they're all up in arms because they're not being respected uh, if you do anything that they consider blasphemous it, it's a big imposition mm-hmm. and ooh, it's a big deal um, here's an example I can think of oh. I I work with uh, a variety of people in terms of all sorts of religious beliefs and degrees of de- religious devotion um, different sexual orientations, different ethnicities, all this kind of thing. Uh, I work with a couple of openly gay male nurses. And there are also several very religious, in a conservative sense, Christian nurses that I work with. And there's this one c- very conservative Christian nurse who's young. She's just in her mid-20s. And um, I, this one gay male nurse I work with who's kind of a prankster was putting pages, like we have an alpha paging system. He was alpha paging her with these jokey little pages. And at one point, he was sitting at the computer trying to compose, you know, what what message he was going to send across her pager. And then he said something like, oh, wait, I better not write this because it was something a little bit off color. Uh, I better not write this because this might offend her. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, how many times was I around this girl when she was, spewing out some kind of homophobic nonsense. Did she think for a second, was she worried about possibly offending him? Oh, no way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yet, you know, this guy, who has been the subject of a lot of, I don't know how exactly to put it, not open homophobia, but just little comments and things like that.
0: Low-level repression.
1: Yeah, I guess you could call it that uh but here he is all worried about offending her mm-hmm. i mean to me that just really speaks volumes a lot of religious people are like oh well we're entitled we're entitled to all this consideration and uh but we don't have to be considered oh, back uh, to yeah it, it's
0: a beautiful thing they it's actually um i've got a fabulous example of that myself a few weeks after uh letting my family know that i had apostatized because i c- my family is so religious that it, it's one of those things, it's low level, always there, but they didn't usually talk about it. It wasn't a subject for conversation most of the time. It was just every that's the ground everyone assumed everyone else was operating on and operated on that level. And you can't go into that situation after you've apostatized and feel like you're doing anything other than lying to people unless you tell them what's going on. So I told them what was going on, and the next time I went over to visit, all the apologetics books were in the living room. They were praying at dinner, which is something that they did not ever do. <laughs> they had gone overnight from being doctrinally conservative, culturally liberal evangelicals to right-wing fundies, it, at least in, in their day-to-day practice. And
1: It was time for Operation Save Dan's soul. Yeah.
0: And then they had the audacity to bitch at me. For rubbing their noses in my apostasy because once, in the course of about a year, once I brought over a Robert Price book. Oh, wow. I didn't give it to them. I didn't even really show them what I was doing. I was just happening to read it, and I was in—I was reading it. I was in their neighborhood. I stopped by to say hi. But I was rubbing their noses in my apostasy. They weren't rubbing their, my nose in their Christianity, but yeah... There's this whole uh, there's this whole uh, evangelical set of euphemisms about uh, about imposing on people that you know one set is a good sort of imposition so you use those for your own thing and the other set is a bad imposition and they all have to do with how you toilet train a dog and you use those for what the other guy is doing to you. (laughs) It's uh, it's rather ridiculous.
1: Oh, it's it's like uh, these people that say that if uh, you're in the workplace and you're gay and you happen to, in your little cubicle on your desk, have a, a picture of you holding hands with your same-sex spouse, then then you're advancing the gay agenda and you're, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're 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 trying to recruit and you're rubbing that in people's faces or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, yeah, same thing. But yeah, you know, you're heterosexual. You can have your your wedding picture with husband and wife, and and nobody says a word.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's a big-time double standard.
0: Yep, I'm all for epistemological and ethical consistency. I acknowledge right. that it's an unattainable goal, that it's contrary to human nature, and that it will never actually happen. But it is nonetheless a noble goal.
1: Oh, I I agree. Well, I guess I might be a little more optimistic than you. I, I I think that by by small increments we we may eventually advance. I think we have already to to a great degree. True. Me I mean, pessimistic you
0: know, Deb. Where would you get that idea?
1: <laughs> we don't we don't have the whites only drinking fountains anymore. <laughs> yes, but we do we do like still
0: that. have the whites only laundry load, and until we get rid of that. <laughs>
3: This is your Reprobate's News Break. I am Hera Flea, daughter of heretic, and this is what's going on in the broader, twisted universe. The University of Indiana today earned the ire of the Gay Student Alliance by the expulsion of several homosexual staff members. When asked the reason for defying the school's stated anti-discrimination policy, representatives of the school appealed to popular wisdom, noting that everyone knows buggers can't be Hoosiers. A local band of audiologists is attempting to intervene before legal action is taken. In religious news, it was reported that Jesus Christ returned to earth to rapture his followers. American Christians, however, declared him to be an imposter, citing his glowing white robes trimmed in gold and noting that the Bible describes Lucifer as the angel of light, so this was clearly Satan in disguise. When asked for comments, Focus on the family's James Dobson insisted that no errors were made and that the faithful would clearly recognize their Lord Jesus when he did return, but spiritual deception on this scale was obviously part of the gay agenda. Pat Robertson was a little more direct, asking who would believe that our Lord would be caught dead in those faggoty white robes. Randall Terry could not be reached for comment, but his spokesperson echoing Robertson's sentiments noted that it's proven cross-dressing by important authority figures leads children to think it's okay to be gay. Disappointed, the man identified as Jesus disappeared into the local pub scene where he was last seen turning bud lights into anchor steams, much to the annoyance of bartenders. Soccer Moms United Today has mounted a campaign to criminalize the practice of prescribing birth control to younger teens, citing evidence that flooding a developing young mind with so many hormones causes mood swings, increased sexual desire, and rebelliousness, and may cause irreparable neurochemical damage. Last week, the California branch of SMUT successfully pushed through legislation which would subsidize prescriptions of Paxil, Ritalin, and other popular mood normalizers, thus making them free to anyone who needs them. Citizens Against Indecency and Family Entertainment were joined yesterday in their campaign to end the sale of violent video games to teenagers by Hollywood star Mel Gibson. Gibson, the star of the Mad Max and Lethal Weapons films, says that it's about time people realize that games like Super Mario Bros. were too violent for impressionable young children and said that selling such games at stores like Walmart was, quote, not far off from selling crack at 7-Eleven. Gibson was unavailable for further comment, having scheduled a personal appearance hosting a showing of his The Passion of the Christ for the Community Bible Church's Vacation Bible School. For the Reprobate's News, this is Hera Flea. We now return to you to your regularly scheduled perversions.
0: Hera Flea will return next week with news from the world of science.
1: Oh boy.
0: Uh, So, schismatic Reprobates Hour. We have this rather mouthful of a title. Um, It should be fairly obvious by now that the schismatic refers to both our apostasy and our general attitude of heresy towards the world. There was a book a few years ago out called The Heretical Imperative, which which is a Christian book geared towards Christians, but the attitude of the book is quite apropos, that being thinking beings, we have the obligation to commit heresy. Oh, definitely. We subscribe to that wholeheartedly. We do. And reprobates is a not so subtle reference to John Calvin's appalling theology laid <laughs> laid out <laughs> in volume two of the Institutes of the Christian Church or the Christian Institutes of the Christian Faith. Uh, there you had the the regenerate and the reprobate mind. Gene Cook is very. Uh, very fond of using his presuppositional bullshit to classify people as reprobate. Therefore, he doesn't actually have a responsibility to witness to them, just to beat up on them.
1: Right. uh, You're already a lost cause. I'm not going to waste my breath.
0: Which goes to show you the kind of integrity that man has. Actually, it doesn't really belong... Those two words don't belong in the same sentence. But anyway...
1: um, Gene Cook and integrity: yeah no. they don't
0: belong in the same sentence and and to those of you who are curious, no, in fact, we do we do plan on having guests, but we are never having him on. We, no. we indeed are never having people of that stripe on. We have no compunction about having Christians on, particularly intelligent Christians who are good critics of either their own worldview or our worldview or someone else's worldview who we both either like or hate.
1: Oh, you know who I really want hmm. to have on? That guy, I, I'm trying to think of his name's Jonathan something, the guy that uh, bought the eBay Atheist Soul. Oh, yeah, that would rock. Doesn't he sound like a cool guy? Oh,
0: he does. Yeah, we, we've yeah. got no problems with having Christians on, and we probably will have Christians on from time to time, but the uh, we don't want this show to become either a forum for um for abuse other than the kind of good-natured stuff that we will dole out from time to time on each other as much as anyone else. Um, or for um, idiocy, you know. Right. <laughs> Reg and uh, the Rational Response Squad have a very good idiocy detail cleanup going, and they seem to have struck a good balance between uh, highbrow stuff and exposing idiocy. We're kind of <laughs> more interested in um, having fun with the highbrow stuff. It, you know, yeah. they already do that extremely well, so we don't have to. We <laughs> get to just play at your expense, and uh, that's part of the fun of it.
1: <sighs> it's all division of labor.
0: So, um, and poly-schismatic uh, is, a, is a double pun. Both, uh, we're both schismatic in many, many ways. Many of which, I'm sure, are going to drive many of you completely fucking insane. In fact, many of the ways I am schismatic drive Deb insane, and vice versa, so we may get into it from time to time, particularly when the subject comes around to politics. Yeah. <laughs> we do not agree politically on much, on just enough to get into good fights. Um, and Deb, can you explain the other part of the poly in our name?
1: Oh, well, that would be a reference to polyamory, which is the practice of having loving romantic and or sexual relationships with more than one person at a given time so uh, it's it's an ethical type of uh, multiple relationship scenario it doesn't involve cheating deception or any kind of bad stuff like that but still a lot of people look askance at it because it's not what our culture teaches to be correct Uh, when you look at just about any kind of popular movie song um, novels romance stories things like that it's all about finding the right person because there's only one right person for you and I think a lot of people buy into that in this culture and then they get together with the person that they've chosen and then something happens and they find out that they're not as compatible as they thought they were. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, it must just be that this wasn't really the one true person. So then they get divorced and look for the right person. Oh, because that person wasn't the right person. And then that goes on and on. And, and that's how you get serial monogamy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when in reality, uh, I think a lot of people are just not wired to be monogamous. I think a lot of people are have a natural inclination to have a romantic or sexual interest in more than one person, and as long as everything is above board and everybody knows what's going on and is comfortable with it, that, that it's perfectly fine to do it that way.
0: Yeah, and this is, uh, for me at least, and perhaps for you as well, this is more than just a relational orientation. This is part of our general worldview skepticism. The mm-hmm. uh, the central myth of our culture enshrined in everyone from the Arthurian legends through Walt Disney and the terrible cultural mess that has come out of his legacy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but don't get well, me started a- on <laughs> that. I, I want to hear more of that later. Oh, I, I, I don't. I never had a lot of affection for old Walt, but I, I really never saw him as some sort of world destroying villain. Oh, so you're going to have to enlighten me. And and and, okay. and
0: and I have I have I have great respect and admiration for Walt Disney as a businessman. He was brilliant, and as a personal personally, he seems to have been a really nifty guy, even if he was kind of a benevolent despot. But um. But yeah, the. Uh, through several centuries from the time that it was useful and used to break the Catholic Church hold on uh, social relationships, which is what the notion of romantic love originally did in the 10th, 11th, and 12th centuries when the Arthurian romances started to uh, gain popularity. Um, The notion of the soulmate, the perfect one, has caused... Un, incalculable mischief it leads it it leads directly to and necessitates betrayal adultery, and all sorts of other social evils and it's really hard on any sort of um, on any sort of committed relationship even when you don't get into that territory because there is jealousy built into the equation any sort of rational rational is not even a good idea, any sort of moral love between two adult people, whether it's sexual or filial or or just companionable, is not a zero-sum game, and turning love into a zero-sum game commoditizes it and makes the people involved into sex objects or relational objects, and that, as far as I'm concerned, is completely unethical.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's we're starting to turn away from this now, but for the longest time, marriage was just an elaborate form of prostitution. A woman would give up sex to a man in exchange for being taken care of. He would go out and work, and she would keep house, take care of the kids, and, and basically have sex with him. That mm-hmm. was her payment for that. Uh, she didn't have a career of her own. She really didn't have any aspirations of her own apart from whatever... The two of them planned together, and the woman was essentially a non-entity. And, and I think that's changing mm-hmm. to some degree now, but it's still like that. Well, and
0: th- there, there's been—oh, the... I'm sorry. didn't mean to. Oh, me. no, that's fine. <laughs> um...
1: I was going to say, especially among fundamental religious people, they really want to continue to keep that, that cultural uh, paradigm going of, of the man being the breadwinner and the woman being the housekeeper, homemaker, mm-hmm. mother, stay-at-home mother—
0: yeah, and there's there's a um, there's been uh, since the Industrial Revolution there's been kind of an unholy mixing of a um, legitimate although we from our cultural standpoint find it distasteful property exchange arrangement and a more sort of inherently for lack of a better word inherently adulterous arrangement where um, the there it where the property arrangement goes beyond, I provide you with this, you provide me with this, we build an economic base that is secure for both of us and ensures our future and our posterity, to a mutual ownership of the minds and hearts of each person in the relationship, which goes way beyond illegitimate. And when you mix those two together, you get simply a recipe for disaster. Um, No society has ever been stable having a marriage form built on romantic love, and our society certainly bears this out. Romantic love is wonderful and cool, but uh, having it uh, channeled in the way that our culture does as a sort of exclusive thought-crime obligation arrangement is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, there's for somebody that that has a genuine religious belief and is Christian who buys into that whole you've already committed adultery in your heart if you've had thoughts about another woman or something like that people just undergo a lot of self-imposed torture that way when really if they would just realize that this is part of human nature to be attracted to more than one person and whether or not you just decide to act on it is a different story that entails a whole other set of moral dilemmas or whatever, but just to, to have a thought that, oh, you know, this I, I see someone walking down the street and this person's attractive and I wonder what it would be like to be with her or him or whatever, that, that that's not some horrible thing that you should be beating yourself up for. It, it's a normal, natural thing.
0: Oh, and, and, and the, the popularization of mental adultery by Dr. Laura and James Dobson, all these sick fucks in the 90s. No kidding. Thank you. (laughs) Where friendship across sexual lines later turning to friendship along sexual lines that have had no, no between straight people, so there's no possible means of cheating to workaholism and classifying these all as adultery makes the situation worse. It turns people into prisoners and users of each other. And for you Christians out there who are listening, if Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, which I think is probably one of the finest definitions of love anywhere in any literature in the world's history, has any merit at all, then your notion of marriage and family and social obligations is utter, complete bullshit and deeply sinful.
1: That was was nice. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Utter and complete bullshit. Very nicely put yeah, yeah well uh, Christianity is is good at that at uh, making people into thought criminals mm-hmm. um, you can't question your religion the, you can't question the belief itself you can't question the the fact that Jesus existed or that he is your savior he died for you and you have to believe the entire story all in one block all in in one Fell swoop. If you don't buy the entire thing, you're damned. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think it it, it bears pointing out that this—that our extensive rant on this—this is not primarily an issue of anti-Christianity for us. What has happened is that this, when when most skeptics, particularly, or most apostates, particularly apostates that become skeptics, apostatize. They generally get rid of some of the doctrines, some of the beliefs. Um, and some of the moral values, but they hold on to a vast raftload of cultural baggage, and one of the things that people just do not get around to analyzing is their ethics on relationships, either filial or, or sexual, and their notion of the way things ought to be. This is one of the things that skeptics simply aren't skeptical about, and we should be. It's, uh, it's rather ridiculous to have a notion that was, that was dreamed up to legitimize adultery in the 10th century in order to break the church's hold on the family structure, now imprison us in a—since the church has tamed that— now imprison us in a quasi-Christian, quasi-Freudian uh, sexual paradigm that's good for nobody and doesn't hold up in an age when the sexes are equal. And when companionship and partnership is not a matter of uh, elaborate prostitution or power exchange.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. I I think that it's it's not so much Christianity itself. I I think that it's the impact Christianity's had on our culture that even when people give up Christianity, they still have I guess like a religious hangover or something. Yeah,
0: that's a good way to put <laughs> they it. St-
1: they still uh, believe a, a lot of the cultural, uh, like you said, the baggage mm-hmm. that they have. Um, that okay, even though I'm not a Christian, I still have good Christian morals, and and these good morals entail, like monogamy being the be all and end all of male female relationships. Mm-hmm.
0: And and it it bears uh, bears mention too that when you get into the whole notion of worldview skepticism, like we're kind of into. When when you're when you're apostasizing and you're going knee jerk out of something, it is natural to throw it all away, or at least all the stuff that you ra- that that you mentally associate with it. You know, there's this whole other raft load of stuff that doesn't even get looked at. But the natural tendency is to throw out everything good and bad and not look at it, and retain everything that you retain without thinking about it. And I think an apostate that does that winds up sitting himself in the worst of both worlds because rather than having the experience of apostasy enrich your life you wind up having trying to redefine your life in a way that perhaps doesn't make sense to you um or doesn't work in the long term you know how many apostates Deb, have you known i've i've known quite a few I was one, who have gotten divorced in the first or second year after apostasy, who have had major financial ruin in the first or second year after apostasy. You know, it's like having a child die, but it's worse because you're by not thinking through all of it carefully, systematically, you're actually allowing the religion that you're leaving to keep controlling you. You're not taking the good from it and leaving the bad behind. You're taking some of the good and some of the bad and leaving some of the good and some of the bad but it's not under your control
1: what i what i saw with my group of ex-mormons that i was involved in is that they or i should say we because i joined the church when i was 14 uh, and a lot of the people there were had been members since birth or from their early 20s at the latest is basically they lost They, they didn't have a normal teenagerhood they didn't have a normal young adulthood They were thrust into this community where they were expected to function as uh, Stepford husbands and wives, I guess, (laughs) Uh, adults, but not really adults. They were adults, but they were so tightly controlled that the church kept them in an infantile state emotionally. And they weren't allowed to be themselves. They weren't allowed to, quote unquote, find themselves. And so when they came out of the church, everybody just kind of flew off the handle. And we just all started acting like teenagers, uh, mm-hmm. producing the effects that you spoke of. <laughs> a lot of people did just get divorced, start dating a whole bunch of people sequentially or all at once. Um, entered into a number of ill-advised relationships, uh, like you said, declared bankruptcy, um, had major, major life changes in, in a somewhat reckless fashion. And it was because it, where, wherever they were at at that point, whether they were 25, 35, 45 or older, they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. They were experiencing what they should have experienced at that developmental stage in their life but they couldn't because they were tied down by this cult. They didn't know who they were. They didn't know what they wanted. And I was in that same boat. I I went through a complete reevaluation of myself because I didn't know who I was.
0: Yep. Yeah. And you know, and people like you and I and some of our friends who have made it through that successfully and come out better for it on the other side, I think are some of the lucky ones. A lot of people get stuck in that ever churning mode because things aren't working. They go and grab on to the nearest thing that comes along, whether it's uh, party line, um, knee jerk skepticism, or New Age stuff, or ufology, or conspiracy theories, and it becomes this ever churning set of um, set of beliefs, none of which seem to replace what was which was that which was originally lost and the life doesn't find any stability. And at that point you got to ask, why'd you leave in the first place?
1: Oh, I, I think some people just, uh, it's like being inside kind of a stuffy, overheated cabin, and then it's like 50 below and a blizzard outside, and you, you open that door and you, you run outside, and, and you get out there, and you're like, whoa, it's really cold out here. So <laughs> yeah. if you're not properly dressed for it, you're going to run right back in that cabin because you can't take it. And I think, or or run to the cabin next door, which, which I think a lot of people did. They came out of Mormonism. They were out for five minutes, and next thing you know, they're fundamental Baptists or they they went into something else that was equally controlling and uh because that's what they were used to it's it's all they knew and they couldn't function without it Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and in the best case scenario you have um when when you apostatize from any worldview, you have the rug ripped out from under you you don't know how to judge truth you don't know how to be anymore and for anyone that takes their religion and their philosophy particularly their religion more seriously than just having it be the foundation of their life you know anyone who's a serious practitioner who's into the relationship with god who makes it a point of their life to um to to mold their thinking and their being around this other person who they imagine is there when you apostasize it is as as devastating as having your child die. You, it's, it's not just you lose the rug you're standing on. You lose the person you were standing on it with. And Oh, yeah. When you start to go down that road, if you're not prepared for it, you wind up in a state, well, even if you are, but particularly if you're not, you wind up in a state of grief that you can't explain, and you do crazy things trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with you because you don't understand it.
1: Um, That's the best explanation I've heard so far.
0: I'll nev- the the final <laughs> the the day when I finally knew I was an atheist. Um, I was writing a theology book. Um, a long story I can go into later, and um, it was actually the occasion for my apostasy. But I was reading a commentary called "The Impatience of Job" by Louis de Bonneires, and I'll never forget how it ended. Um, He says, um, if God is omnipotent, we cannot blame anything on the devil. And if God is of no help, we have to do his work for him. He has still failed to appear in court, and we construe Uh his absence either as non-existence, hubris, apathy, or an admission of guilt. We miss him. We would dearly like to see him going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. But we admire tyranny no longer And we desire justice more than we are awed By vainglorious assertions of magnificence And when I read this My soul caved in It was right then God died And I knew it And I cried literally for two or three days Uh, First day my wife stayed home And made sure I drank enough to keep the tears coming Because I was just that wrecked My friend died and for the next six or eight months, I was struggling around trying to make sense of a world without the uh, imaginary entity that really had become my best friend. In it every day, making it live. It's not. It's not as simple. And and you know. And you know, Deb. You and I. We we've been out of this long enough that we look around, even even us going through what we did leaving and we look at Christians who really should know better and we wonder why don't they get it this <laughs> this is why it's not just a matter of changing your ideas you have to admit that someone you love is dead uh,
1: there are people i think there's a lot of people for whom their life just literally would not be worth living if they if they allowed themselves to understand that there was no god mm-hmm if they allowed that thought to take root in their mind so they so they don't allow themselves to get anywhere near that thought Mm -hmm. it's it's like armor that they put up anytime their thoughts start to go in that direction they just throw up that wall and nope i'm not going to think about it anymore i'm not going to look at it that way and then they just kind of throw themselves back into talking to the people that they talk to reading the books that they read that reinforce their their faith
0: and yeah I don't know. I don't know what, how I wound up hitting on it. But one of the things that kept me mentally cogent for the first year after my apostasy was the notion of, yeah, I, I just, I, I recognized that there was that there was a death and grief going on. So I decided, for a while, until I figured things out, to try to live as if I was honoring someone's memory. <laughs> it sounds cheesy now, but it really did work for a while.
1: No, I mean, I, I think that it's not at all cheesy what, if, it, if it works for you, if that's something that, that helps you. If you're treating it as an actual death, you would have to do what you would do if it were an actual mm-hmm. death of a human being. Um, I, my uh, defense, I guess, was that I just didn't even think about it for 10 years. I just threw myself into other things. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of thought that, hey, you know, there's definitely some chinks in the armor now. and uh, But I just I thought, well... You know, I'm, I'm just not, it's me. I'm not understanding this properly. I can't deal with this right now. I'm distraught because of my husband's death. I have two little children to take care of. I have to work full time now. So someday I'll I'll get back into this. Someday I'll come back to the church because, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's true. I just don't know what's wrong with me right now that I can't perceive it that way. But, but I'm sure that this will all get straightened out. Uh, but for now, I'm just just going to kind of concentrate on other things. And that went on for ten years, and it went on until I found this this group of ex-Mormons, and that re- was very triggery for me. I uh, they had posted to I was on America Online at the time, and that was in the mid '90s when you had to pay per hour still. Oh wow! <laughs> and I burned a lot of hours that month, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> they had this little um, like message board for ex-Mormons, and there were a couple hundred posts or something and I remember just I stayed up one night just reading post after post after post of all these people telling their stories of how they became disillusioned with the church uh, all the contradictions in the doctrine that they found the problems that they had with the clergy um, just all sorts of things and at the end of that time I just was like okay (laughs) this fine I, I found it was like Eureka I found it I have found my people um, you just had to let so, your fields
0: fallow for long enough to be able to till them properly again.
1: Right, and and then I knew, okay, I had this group of people, I had support, so then I finally felt safe enough to really explore my own feelings on the topic and to look at the experience I had, even though I hadn't really been to church in 10 years. But I still was able to, at that point, re-examine mm-hmm. the experience that, that I had had and go, yeah you know, this, this was abusive. This this was detrimental to my life. This hurt me a lot more than it helped me. Because people are like, oh, well, the Mormons, you know, they're so industrious and they're very, they're very clean. They're pro clean living. They don't like smoking, drinking, Mm -hmm. you know, idleness, this sort of thing. Yeah, I, which is all good, but but when when you when you look at the trade-off, it's not so good anymore. When they control every aspect of oh, your life yeah. from what what you wear to to the what kind of soft drinks that you imbibe, <laughs> you know, just everything.
0: Yeah, my my experience coming out of a liberal evangelical ground was almost the opposite. Um it was I it was never I never experienced it as a limiting factor. It was always very freeing. Um you know, you had some doctrines that were fairly non-negotiable. But in that, there was immense freedom. I, you know, which isn't to say I didn't get involved in a couple of cults. I did. Um, (laughs) And in at least one case, I was rather instrumental in giving it a very big black eye when I figured out what was going on. But um, the apostasy for me initially was rather than an expansion of my world, it was a contraction, Um, you know, the the liberal evangelical idea, the classical liberal theology idea, is the world is alive with the grandeur of God. And all truth is God's truth. And there's all of these great buzzwords, but what they basically add up to is, don't worry, anything you're going to find out is going to reinforce what you already know to be true. So don't worry about it. Go explore or learn. Just be ethical about it. And so uh, apostatizing from that it was in in one sense it was like the scaffolding falling away and it was very very difficult looking back at how something that I now knew to be false had really built who I am and all the things I liked about myself I could point to that teacher or that author or that experience with that other Christian as defining moments and trying to figure out how to sort you know how to honestly say this is bullshit without slandering the very things that made me all the things I liked about myself. It wasn't an easy thing.
1: Yeah, sometimes uh, that baby and that bathwater are fairly indistinguishable.
0: Yeah, we had like a, I, I had like a bathtub filled with baby powder that was kind of dissolved. I <laughs> had to distill it out. Reminds me of my favorite Yakov Smirnov joke, actually. You remember that guy from the late eighties?
1: In Russia yeah. the train rides you or yep.
0: <laughs> I is the my favorite joke from him was he uh he says, Yeah, I've come to your country, it's incredible. You you go to the grocery store, look at what you have. You have powdered milk, you add water and you get milk. You have powdered orange juice, you add water and you get orange juice. And then I saw baby powder and I thought, Oh my <laughs> god, what a country! <laughs>
1: That's
0: great. <laughs> <laughs> oh. ah, well, it's we're getting we're getting pretty close to the top of the hour, so I suppose we should uh, let people know what's in store for future episodes. Next uh, in the next couple of weeks, I don't know which week we're gonna do which, but uh, we've got Zach from Evolution one, uh, Zach Moore from Evolution One Hundred and One coming on to give us a piece of his mind which uh, should be quite interesting and we've got uh, Cunning Minx from Polyamory Weekly which will be even more interesting because in addition to being um, poly and a worldview skeptic she's also into BDSM and she's a bit of a a new age pagan so we're going to find plenty both to agree with her on and to uh, give her a hard time about
1: sounds good
0: Uh, any parting thoughts you got Deb before we uh, before we sign off here
1: no, not really. I, I think we're just getting started here, and it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. And I think we'll eventually uh, hit our stride, find our voice, and contribute what we have to contribute to the world of skepticism. Mm-hmm.
0: If, uh, if we've inspired you to be angry or to laugh or to simply want to kick your computer across the room, then our work here is done. So, for the Polyschismatic Reprobates Hour, this is Dan the Demented. And Deviant Deb. saying, Get your minds out of the sewer. We want to be alone.
2: You'll crush what you can't understand. You've taught me that sheltered we're destined to stay. You claim that it's right we should cower this way. For man must never question what nature has planned. You said it was all by God's hand. do am dangers dangers prowl through the night ¶¶ For we're all in the hands now of God, now of God ¶¶ We're all in the hands now of God ¶¶ We're just two-legged rabbits ¶¶ It's safe underground ¶¶ Afraid to admit That we've long since been found If we ignore death It just might go away And leave us back where we began Just deny any questions Outside a small range Feel safe all our lives For our lives cannot change all if it matters that we understand and be led to the end by God's hand. triumph, God's wisdom has won. Behold here the damage that can't be undone. Stagnation is good and we're good to the core, while faith rots us like salt rots the land. If your God helps the helpless pay,